Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the ability to to read it, the ability to comprehend it, the ability to understand it and study it, Lord. And I just pray you'd speak to us this morning the truth of your word, that we may be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and he called the darkness night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now if you were to continue to read that account in Genesis chapter 1, you would read about the glory and the majesty and the power and the beauty of God's work. You would read about his creation of the sun and the moon and the stars, of the oceans, of the land, of the plants and the trees and the animals, and on and on the list would go. And the the beauty of God's creation was stunning. In fact, if you were to continue to read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, you would see the Bible says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was, in the words of the writer of Genesis, very good. So God creates everything. He creates it into a perfect state. He claims and declares that it's very good. And then, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, believing they can make decisions that are best for them outside of the will of the Lord, disobey God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that when they did that, death and sin entered the world. Now, the rest of the scripture and the rest of human history is a picture of God's plan to redeem his people back to himself. It's a picture of his desire and his will to bring people back into a right relationship with him. And so we read in the study of the word of God, and we understand from our own experiences and from life itself, people wander. People stray, people sin, they struggle, and even in the midst of what the Lord is attempting to do in the world, there is this great need for hope. And so for literally thousands of years, in the words of the scripture, people wander around in darkness. And then we read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when the time had fully come... God sent his son. Born of a woman, 
born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So after thousands and thousands of years of anticipation, the story writer steps into the story. (laughs) In the midst of darkness, God sends a great light. Now here's the interesting thing about Christmas. I think we see Christmas and the birth of Christ and we, we... think about what the Lord has done and we think about what the Lord has accomplished and we think about all the Lord has given us. But I think sometimes we miss the fact that when Jesus Christ was born, it wasn't some random accident. It wasn't as if God woke up one morning and just decided to send his son to the earth. It wasn't a last-minute decision. In fact, God had a plan from the beginning to save your soul. And I want to talk about this plan this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Isaiah chapter 9. A light has dawned. Now a little bit of background on the book of Isaiah as you're flipping to find it. Isaiah was written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah is filled with prophecies of who Jesus Christ was going to be, of what Jesus Christ was going to become. And as we read these accounts, we begin to kind of build this picture of exactly who Jesus was. And let's understand, 700 years before the birth of Christ, people didn't understand who Messiah was going to be. They hoped and they believed that one day God would provide an opportunity for salvation. But exactly what that opportunity was going to be, exactly what that was going to look like, was a mystery to them. And so we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning... That the Lord is going to begin to give these people a vision, a picture, an understanding of exactly what this hope and exactly what this light would one day look like. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now, isn't that just a hopeful statement to begin? <laughs> No more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning That will be fuel for the fire. Now verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Now bear in mind this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now let's stop there this morning and begin to dig into some of the scripture. I want you to understand that God's got a plan for your life. I want you to understand that God has had a plan for your life from the beginning And I want you to understand that even in the midst of the darkness of the world, even in the midst of things that may seem hopeless, there is absolute hope in Christ. And so I want to see some truth this morning that's going to help us understand that hope. It's going to help us understand that light. It's going to help us understand exactly who Christ is. Is for us. Here's the first truth I want to look at, and the first thing I want you to understand. In this text, in verses 1 and 2, the first thing we notice is that there is a nation delivered from the darkness into the light. There's a group of people that have lived in darkness that, because of what Christ is going to accomplish for them, is going to be delivered into the light. Now, let's talk about Israel just for a second because this is who this is written to. Let me give you a little bit of context about Israel. Israel, because of their sinfulness and the mistakes that they have made, have been divided into two different kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. Now in the northern kingdom, we see in verse 1 that it's divided into these two areas, Zebulun and Naphtali. Now the scripture tells us, and we don't really understand it unless we kind of understand the history of Israel, that in that area there was gloom and there was distress. Now these areas, because of their location were frequent targets of attack. And so if you lived in one of these two areas 700 years before the birth of Christ, you understood very clearly doom, you understood gloom, you understood distress. And yet the right of Israel says to these people, even though you've experienced this in the past, even though there's gloom and distress, even though there's darkness, one day I'm going to honor you. Now here's the neat tie between the first part of verse 1 and the second part of verse 1. Zebulun and Naphtali in the Old Testament will become known as Galilee in the New Testament. See that? And so there's this sense here that even though these people that lived in this area were living in distress, one of these days, some point in the future, God is going to honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Now you may already know this, but let me remind you. Jesus Christ did the vast majority of his ministry in the area of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. That's where he ministered. That's where he lived, that's where he walked, that's where he taught, that's where he prayed, that's where he did incredible miracles. That's where he walked along the Sea of Galilee and ministered to the people. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we see this picture in verse 1 of Isaiah 9, that even though there's been a distressful time for these people, even though they're living in gloom, even though they're living in darkness, one day they will be honored in Galilee. Now let's just remember, let's put ourselves in their context. 700 years before the birth of Christ, first of all, they didn't know how many years it was going to be till the Messiah. Secondly, they didn't understand exactly what the Messiah was going to look like. Thirdly, they didn't really understand all the Messiah was going to accomplish. And so we begin to ask ourselves the question, if we put ourselves in their place, what does it mean to be honored in the future? Lord, we're living here in Zebulun and Naphtali, and we've 
been under distress and there have been some gloomy moments for us and we've lived in sinfulness. It's very difficult for us to live and yet you tell us one day you're going to honor us. How are you going to honor us? Are you going to throw us a banquet, Lord? Let's just get everybody together and have a big feast and a big party or maybe you're going to give us a a medal of some type or a a huge celebration or maybe it's going to be some sort of a national holiday. How are you going to honor us, Lord? Well, verse 2 begins to clue us in on this. The people... Walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's interesting in Scripture. If you begin to study the idea of light and darkness, you begin to understand that there's a very spiritual meaning to this. Now, we understand physical light. We understand physical darkness. We understand that physical darkness can be very scary, right? If you have little children, you understand very clearly that physical darkness can be very scary. And all it takes to remove the fear of darkness is to do what? Just turn on the light. It's amazing how one room can be exciting and cheerful one moment and you turn the light off and it's pitch dark and all of a sudden it's scary, right? It's amazing how the bedroom of a little child can be a fun place during the day and as soon as it gets dark, it's very scary. We understand physical darkness. But in the context of Scripture, we see over and over there's this sense of spiritual darkness. And so we read this text in Isaiah 9 verse 2. The darkness that the writer is speaking of is very clearly the spiritual darkness and the sinfulness that these people are walking in. They're walking in a time of separation from the Lord. They're walking in a time of sinfulness. They're walking in a time where they're not interested in doing the things of the Lord. They're interested in doing the things they want to do. And I read this text, and I understand that it applies 700 years before the birth of Christ, but I also understand it applies to us today, doesn't it? Because if we're not very careful, we find ourselves wandering around in the darkness. And the thing about the darkness, without the light, you really don't know which way to turn, do you? And you kind of grope around and you feel around and you kind of hope not to stumble and you hope not to fall and you you hope not to run into a wall. These people are walking in spiritual darkness, but the hope that they're going to have, the way they're going to be honored is that one day, even though there's great darkness, there will come a light. There will come the dawning of the light. And in that light, the scripture is going to tell us that they're going to find hope. Now, if you were to study through the New Testament, you probably already know this, that Christ is referred to over and over again as the light. So we see examples like John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And here's this tie, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's a reference to Genesis 1 that I read a few minutes ago, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's this picture that even though there's great darkness, one day a light will dawn And we understand, as we read back through this and understand the truth of history and the truth of the Word of God, and especially the New Testament, we understand that light that's going to dawn is going to be Christ. Now, I love Christmas for a lot of reasons, as so many of you do. There's this sense of excitement and all the things you could talk about with family and friends and presents and time off working. But one of the things that's really neat to me about Christmas are the lights. And we decorate with lights at Christmas, right? We put up lights. And one of the things we wanted to think about this Christmas season was light, the light of the world. Our four lights have come back on. That's great. They were off earlier. 
They worked this week, I promise you. And then this morning they didn't work. The devil didn't want those four on, but the Lord wanted them back on to their own. So amen. But we put up these lights because we wanted to think about the light of Christmas. We want to be reminded of light in the darkness. You know, light can be a really fun thing at Christmas. You decorate your trees and you decorate your house. And we have kind of a tradition at our house the day after Thanksgiving. That's the day we decorate. And so dad tromps up in the attic or mom and dad up in the attic. And they pull all the stuff down, right? And you leave it up for just a few days, it seems like. And you put it back in the attic. That's kind of the way it works. We decorated our tree. And we got everything set and everything in place, plugged it in. It was beautiful. And all of a sudden, half the lights on the tree went out. You ever had that experience? And all of a sudden, the light is not nearly as exciting as it was a few minutes ago because now you're a little frustrated because those little LED lights, if one of them goes out, they all go out, and you've got to pull them all off. And so this afternoon, Dad will be pulling lights off the tree. So be praying for me, please, that I'll keep my sanity. But we celebrate Christmas, and we celebrate Christmas with light. And I want to be reminded this morning from this text that these people understood that in the midst of darkness, one day a light would come. But they didn't know anything else. What does that mean? Great, Lord, one day there's going to be light in the midst of darkness. Give us, Lord, a little bit better of understanding of what you're talking about. So we skip down now to verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I think we have the scripture on the screen for you. It's going to give us a little more of a picture of what that light and what that hope is going to look like. For, now, again, 700 years before the birth of Christ here. For unto us a child is born... To us, a son is given. So there's this light and this hope is going to be some way bound up in this child. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's the second thing we see. In the midst of a great darkness, a light dawns and a child is born. Now, I have children, and, and many of you have children or grandchildren, and I, I think about my children often, as you do. And I have hopes and dreams for my kids, just like you do. And I pray for my kids, just like you do. And I started thinking through this a little bit as I read about this child that was going to be born and this son that was going to be given. And I started thinking about some of the dreams people have for their children. If you had to list out the top ten things for your kids, what would those things be? And we'd all have some of the same sorts of lists or the same sorts of bullet points. Healthy, godly, successful in life, whatever that means. And all these things are important and we could kind of list through these things and we could rank these things and talk about these things and we pray for these things on a regular basis. But I look at verse 6. And the first thing that's listed about this child is that the government will be on his shoulders. (laughs) That's not one of the things I pray for my kids. Lord, I just pray that the government will be upon the shoulders of my children. That's not something we pray, is it? In fact, all the things listed in verse 6 are not things I usually pray for my children. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are not things I pray for my kids. Those are probably not things you pray for your kids or your grandkids. And so we see clearly in verse 6, watch this, this is no ordinary child. (laughs) See that? This isn't just some other kid. And so we begin to build this case in Isaiah 9 that although we don't understand exactly what this hope is going to mean, we don't understand exactly what this light is going to look like, it's going to be wrapped up some way in this child. And in this child, the Bible tells us that the government is going to be on his shoulders. And there's this incredible list of exactly who this kid is going to be. He's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. 
You know, one of the most incredible things about Christ is in the midst of a world filled with darkness and in the midst of a world filled with untruthfulness, you can trust everything he says to you. Students, you can believe the word of God. It's truthful. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but if you're a little bit younger, you may not fully understand this yet, but you can't trust everybody you meet, right? You can't trust everything that you read. In fact, there are people out there that are willingly trying to lead you astray. They have some sort of agenda. But the thing we understand about Christ is that his word is truth. Now the thing that's really neat about Jesus is not only does he speak truth, not only does he know all things, but the Bible tells us that he loves us so much that he knows you personally and intimately. He knows everything about you. So we read verses like John 2.25. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Mark 2.28. Jesus immediately knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this text. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Now listen to all the things he knows. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. It's very comforting for me to know that the creator of the universe knows all things And knows me intimately and is my wonderful counselor. See, he can be trusted. But not only is he the wonderful counselor, the next kind of qualifier in verse 6 is that he's going to be the mighty God. That's a pretty compelling thing to say about a person, isn't it? If you were to study the scripture, you would understand that there is a debate among scholars and there's the debate among people and that debate is kind of spilled over into society and throughout history and goes on today about exactly who Jesus Christ was. Who is Jesus? Now the way we answer that question affects not only the way we live our lives now but it will affect our eternity. You need to understand that. And so you as an individual ought to come to grips with how you're going to answer that question. Who is Christ? But as we begin to study scripture it becomes clearer and clearer that Jesus claimed to be and was fully God. Now we see in Scripture, if you study, that he was fully God and yet he was fully human. You say, I don't really understand how that's possible. How is it possible for someone to be fully God while at the same time fully human? I don't know how it's possible. I can't explain it. Scholars call it the hypostatic union. It's a real fancy word. I don't even know what the word means, much less be able to explain how it happens. But there's this picture in Scripture, if you study it and understand it, that God is, that Jesus is fully God and he's fully human. And so we see texts like John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. Now John 1.14 says the Word became flesh, so it's a picture of Christ. So John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word or Jesus. And the Word or Jesus was with God. And Jesus or the Word was God. There's this very clear picture here. Jesus Christ was fully God. John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus is speaking to some of the religious leaders. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that's a reference directly to Moses in the burning bush. And when God says to Moses, when Moses said, Lord, who am I supposed to say you are? He says, tell them, I am that I am, right? 
And so when Christ says, before Abraham was born, I am, he's referring to himself fully as God. Now we can imagine the religious leaders of the day would have seen that as blasphemy and we would expect them in that moment to rebel against Christ. And the Bible tells us at this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they believed he was blaspheming because he was claiming to be God. They picked up the stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. We see this picture in Scripture that Jesus is fully God. And so we're, 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 we're building this case in Isaiah 9 that there's hope in the darkness. There's hope in the midst of despair. And we don't know what this hope is going to look like, but we know there's a light that's going to dawn. We know it's going to be wrapped up in this child. We know it's going to be a, a boy. We know that he's going to be a wonderful counselor. We know that he's going to have the government upon his shoulders. And we're kind of building this case of exactly who Christ is going to be, exactly what Christ is going to look like hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. Now, we could continue on through this text. I mean, it talks about the fact that he's the everlasting father and, and the prince of peace. And, and on and on we could go. But I want to skip down now to verse 7 to see kind of the next picture of exactly who this young boy is going to be and exactly what he's going to do. Verse 7 tells us this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, the, the nation of Israel and all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through the birth of this child. And the third thing that we see, this may be the most important thing we're going to say this morning, is that the child, whoever this child is going to be, is going to reign forever. See that? That's what verse, nine, verse 7 of Isaiah 9 tells us. This child is going to reign forever. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign will be from that time on and forever. So there's this picture here. That not only is there hope one day. Not only will the hope be light in the midst of darkness. Not only will the hope be wrapped up in this child. But this child is going to be a king and this king is going to reign forever. Now, I don't know about you, but I find great hope in that. I find great hope in understanding that even in the midst of a world, and you know this as well as I do, that seems to absolutely be falling apart, right? It doesn't matter where you look, it seems like things are getting worse. That in the midst of that chaos, we serve a king who is going to reign now and forevermore. And I take great comfort in that. I find great peace in that. I sat in the hospital yesterday with Tim Woody. And just had a moment, the two of us were there alone, and, and, and I had an opportunity just to, to listen to his heart and to hear him share in the midst of incredible grief and incredible tragedy his desire, even in the midst of this terrible thing, to serve the Lord. Even in the midst of a difficulty that many of us can never imagine and hope to never be involved in. He said, I don't understand why it's going on like this. I don't understand why it's happening like this. I don't understand exactly what took place. But I know I'm going to trust the Lord. And I know I'm going to serve the Lord. And even in the midst of that situation. Even in the midst of that incredible difficulty that family's going through. We see peace. And we see hope. And we see that we serve a risen Savior who's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And that should bring us great hope. You know, Christmas is a very exciting time of year. 
It's a time of family and friends and celebration, but it's a picture more than anything else of the story of the redemption of mankind. It's a reminder of Christ. And it's a reminder that Jesus Christ didn't just show up one day for no reason, but that God had a plan from day one. He had a plan of redemption. He had a plan to right the wrong. He had a plan to buy back the world from the darkness that it lives in. And ultimately what Christmas says to us is that God is going to save his people through Jesus Christ. That even in the midst of darkness, there is light. And so my prayer for you this Christmas season is that you're going to enjoy all the time that you have with your family. You're going to enjoy the time that you have with friends and the time off work and all the things that go along with Christmas. But here's my prayer for you this Christmas. That you're going to experience the light of Jesus Christ in ways that you have never experienced him before for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Again, Lord, it's just so compelling and it's so clear. And it's such an incredible reminder, Lord, 700 years before the birth of Christ that you had a plan and you laid it out in Scripture. Lord, we know that there was hope even in the midst of darkness. And Lord, we know that there's hope now even in the midst of darkness. And so I pray, Father, that your light would shine through us. That as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, we would understand our calling to not only understand and study the light and to see the light, Lord, but to share the light. And Lord, help us be compelled to become the light. Lord, to walk into the darkness of the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, Father. I pray that this season would be the best one we've ever had, not because of the presence we receive, but because of the hope that we find in you. May we experience the light of Christ this season for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a couple of minutes if you want to come and kneel at the altar. Maybe you have specific prayers you want to continue to pray about. Maybe you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join the church. But this is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.